You're listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life Church Pullman, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. Those of you that are parents are fully aware with the idea that uh, there are certain things that we pass on to our kids that are great, right? When we see something show up in our kids as they get older, and it's one of those uh, really cool qualities, and and we're like, oh yeah, they got that from me, right? It's a little bit like one of those mom or dad moments where you're like, yep, that was mine. I passed that on to him, right? And then there's those times where you see the stuff show up in your kids where you're like, I was really hoping they wouldn't have caught that, (laughs) right? Like, I I didn't want to pass that on to my kids. Well, a lot of you know my son, Noah. Uh, He is, uh, he's been here in Pullman with me the whole time. And so he's 19 going on 20. And Noah is very creative, to say the least, uh, ever since he's been a little guy, he's been always just super creative, super curious, always interested in new things. He's had more hobbies than there are hobbies on the world. Like he just, it's unbelievable. The amount of things that he's been interested in and pursued and tried out uh, are almost, uh, un, it's like almost impossible to mention them all. He's been into wood carving. He's been into wood burning. He's been into woodworking. He, he went on a, a fad for a, a thing for a while where he was fascinated with blending seasonings, like really into it, like probably $500 worth of seasoning. He didn't know that he blended, but right. Like when your kids get into the spice drawer, they have no idea. Each one of those things is like eight bucks, right? So he's got into all that kind of stuff. He got into art and painting and creating things. He was into Legos and all that kind of stuff when he was younger and every possible thing you could build with Lego. He got bored with the Lego things and then started inventing his own things and made Lego claw machines that actually worked. And it was like, how did you figure that out? I don't know. It was just like 14 hours and locked in a bedroom and he just made a thing, right? And he's always into different things, clothing brands and snow and uh, uh, longboard skateboards, right? All this stuff. And as a parent, having a kid like that's a little bit exhausting. And there are times where I look at him and I'm like, man, is he ever going to stick with anything? Right? You try a lot of stuff. And there's part of me that that's cool and I encourage. And then there's other parts of me that's a little bit exhausting. And then I wonder, man, I wonder where he would have got that. And then I realize that the poor guy grew up with me. And when I look back over my list of hobbies, it puts his to shame because I've been into everything. You name it, I have chased it down. I have pursued it. I have tried all kinds of stuff. I'm a super curious person. I like to try new things from hiking, adventuring, to fishing, to boating, to Jeeps, every kind of Jeep, big Jeeps, little Jeeps, trucks that are really big, cars that are really small, motorcycles. I've been into dirt bikes, street bikes, Harleys, had a whole bunch of those. I've been into art. A lot of people don't know. I love I- well, I haven't for a long time. I'm a pretty good artist. I draw, I paint. Uh, for a season, I really wanted to be a tattoo artist. And so I got a bunch of stuff to learn how to do that. Anybody looking for a free tattoo, I am available to practice. Um, and so I, I'm always looking for new opportunities for creative outlets, right? And so I've been into all sorts of things. And so it's easy to look at my own life and I'm like, oh, no wonder he's that way, right? And the thing that 
that I think that we have in common, there's so many different things, but this interest in starting new things, this entrepreneurial spirit, this curiosity, this desire to start new stuff. And I think if people looked at, especially him and I, from the outside, they would probably think like, hey, I wonder if they're ever going to stick with anything, right? Like their stick-to-itiveness, if you will, is pretty small, but it's only in certain areas, right? There are things that we really stick with. And um, I don't know if some of you can relate. When you think about your stick-to-itiveness, if one was like Elmer's glue, basically worthless and sticks to nothing, or Gorilla Glue that will break everything to pieces if you tried to undo what you glued, right? Like not very sticky, really sticky. What, how would you rate your stick-to-itiveness, one to ten, personally? Go ahead, throw some fingers up. Four, we got a four, or you can shout it out. That's fine. Seven, six, one, got another, yeah, I can relate. All right. A ten, ooh, seven, eight. I don't know why I said throw fingers up. I can't see four feet in front of me. I have a room full of tens. Very sticky people. Um, I don't know. But uh, I think a lot of people can relate. We land all over the map with different personalities and different types. And, and so today we're going to talk a little bit about stick-to-itiveness. It's the, something that is really, really important to be a disciple of Jesus. Thankfully, the Bible has a better word for it than stick-to-itiveness or stickiness. The Bible calls it perseverance. In the Bible, we call it perseverance, and the thing about perseverance is it's very, very important. And in fact, I'd say it's more than important. Important. I would say that without perseverance, I don't think you'll actually make it as a disciple. Like, I don't think you'll be able to finish the race as a disciple of Jesus without perseverance. And so this morning, we're going to continue in our series, this Journey to God series, where we are reviewing and looking at some of the psalms that God's people would have sung as they uh, ascended to Jerusalem, to worship in Jerusalem. And the psalm today is a psalm that will help us learn a little bit about perseverance. It's uh, Psalm 129, and it's, it's written by a disciple who has uh, grown some perseverance, who has a lot of stick-to-itiveness, that has grit and stuck it out through hard times. And, and it's, a, it's a disciple that is um, displaying a really tough faith that's hung in there through some hard times. And so I want to read it, and then we'll kind of dive in and start learning a little bit about perseverance. But more than just learning about it and why it's so important, I also want to help us get to the point where we actually can think about what it might look like to be proactive to grow our perseverance. So we'll get there. All right, Psalm 129 goes like this. From my earliest youth, my enemies have persecuted me. Let all Israel repeat this. From my earliest youth, my enemies have persecuted me. I just want to point out, as songwriting goes, this is not a real pick-me-up song start right here, right? Right? It goes sort of like this. This is the choir director saying, Since the beginning, everybody has hated me. Let us all sing. Since the beginning, everybody has hated us. It's like, wow, welcome to church, where we sing about how our enemies hate us. It's kind of a strange start to a song. It says, from my earliest youth, my enemies have persecuted me, but they never defeated me. 
My back is covered with cuts as if a farmer had plowed long furrows. But the Lord is good. He has cut me free from the ropes of the ungodly. May all who hate Jerusalem be turned back in shameful defeat. May they be as useless as grass on a rooftop, turning yellow when only half grown, ignored by the harvester, despised by the binder, and may those who pass by refuse to them, uh, refuse to give them this blessing. The Lord bless you. We bless you in the Lord's name. And we'll circle back and get to the second half of that psalm about blessing and harvest and green weird grass, and it will we'll unpack that. The beginning of the psalm, though, starts off with this picture of God's people with a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. It's sort of, I get this imagery of somebody writing this song that's sort of like, hey, you know what? No matter how hard they've tried, they can't keep me down. And you get a little bit of attitude, a little bit of, uh, you can come at me with all you've got, but God's good. And my enemies can't defeat me. You see, God's people are tough, right? Whether they're slaves in Egypt or exiles in Babylon, whether they're pushed around by Persian armies or, or beaten or taxed endlessly by the Romans, God's people persevere. And in the New Testament, apart from Jesus, probably the poster boy for perseverance is Paul. Try and say that three times fast. Paul, the poster boy for perseverance. And, and, and the thing about Paul is he has this life that he's lived that has this, uh, he, he's such an amazing example of toughness and perseverance. And I love the insights that we get to, to learn from Paul as we see some of the letters that he wrote to churches. There's one letter that he wrote to uh, uh, new believers in Corinth that are young in their faith. And Paul's trying to pass on to them by way of description and kind of by way of storytelling, he's trying to pass off to them some grit, some toughness, some stick to He's trying to help them like learn from my example, look at what I've been through and see how I've stuck with it and persevered. Like I need you guys to hear some of these stories because I know what's coming for you. He also was trying to relay to them a, a little bit of righteous frustration because he had shared the gospel with them. They had started in following Jesus and then other people came along behind Paul and shared some messages that were not all lining up. They started teaching about circumcision and other rules that you needed to follow in order to be a believer, a Christian. And Paul was frustrated because how quickly they sort of got off track. Like their perseverance muscles were wimpy. Their stick with itiveness muscles were weak. And so Paul writes to him and he's trying to pass off some grit, stick with it no matter what. And I want you to, as we're reading this, I want you to, to like try and put in your mind's eye this, this picture of what it would have been like to hear from Paul, the attitude that would have come across, the tone that he would have delivered it with, the, 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 just the gumption and passion of a guy that would write these words from a life that he actually lived. And so this is what he had to write to the church in uh, Corinth in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 23, he says, are they servants of Christ? And so he's, he's addressing the, the people that are trying to take them off the path, that are trying to say something to them that doesn't line up with what Paul preached about being a Jesus follower. So he says, are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him far more. 
I've worked harder. I've been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me the 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and day adrift at sea. I've traveled on many long journeys. I've faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I've faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I've faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And I've faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I've worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty, and I've often gone without food. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. And then, besides all this, I have the daily burden of the concern for all the churches. Who is weak without me feeling that weakness? Who is led astray and I do not burn with anger? You get this imagery of a guy who is desperately trying to hand off grit perseverance, toughness. He's like, I need you to go. I need you to know you're going to go through hard times. You're going to get persuaded to go a different way. You're going to face challenges. But listen, let me, let me teach you what grit comes from. And if you could take any of mine and not have to learn the lessons I learned the way I had to learn them, let me tell you, this is what it was like. And, and the cool thing is, is none of that had the power to, to push Paul off the path. None of it was enough to make him change his mind that the Jesus he met on the road to Damascus wasn't worth following to the very end of his life. In fact, when we see some of the things that Paul wrote near the end of his life, some of the last things that he wrote, we get this insight, this glimpse into what is Paul about near the end of his life? What is he focused on? What is he caring about? What kind of things does he say? It's pretty interesting because in Philippians 3.13, he says this, No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what is ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Here's Paul after all the things he's gone through, all the life he's lived, all the travels he's had. And at the very end, near the end of his life, he's writing words to believers trying to help them understand, like, I'm not looking behind me. I'm not living in the rearview mirror. Uh, Today, what Paul was worried about is what is he going to, how's his faith going to hold up tomorrow? Is he going to finish the race? Is he going to persevere? Is he going to stay the course? Like Those are the things where his heart and his mind were set on, I want to be a guy that sticks with it. I want to be a guy that perseveres. And I I think I can be because of what Christ did and the example he gave for me. That's the kind of things that he was talking about at the very end after all he'd gone through. And it's this awesome picture of really what biblical perseverance looks like. Because the way of faith that Paul is calling us to, that Jesus called us to, is not like a fad or a new hobby, right? I'm awesome at new hobbies. And the way of faith is nothing like that. It's not like something that you just try out for a minute or for a season and then put on the shelf to grow dust. The way of faith is something that is a a lifelong commitment, and and it's a, a, 
a thing that has been tested and proven throughout time that when we put our faith in God, it holds up through the hard things that we can go through. The psalmist says that, yes, he's faced persecution. He's got the scars from those that opposed God. There's this imagery in the psalm that almost is cringeworthy to read. When you read the psalm, you, you hear a guy writing saying, saying, I have had enemies, I have been persecuted, so much so he describes it like a, a plowman at a plow doing furrows up his back. If you think about like drawing a, a, a sharp plow up your back, it's just like, ugh, even just thinking about it just kind of makes you shiver a little bit. Like the imagery that the, the psalmist uses. But the cool thing is, is he doesn't stop there. He doesn't leave us there to kind of just, just like hang there in our grief. Like, man, you, to be a disciple is to be persecuted. It's to experience hardship and pain. And, and it doesn't just stop there. He says, no, but they haven't defeated me because God is good. And God came along and did something. God actually, he says in this, in this psalm, he describes with this like poetic words that God came along and grabbed the reins out of the plowman's hands and ripped them out of the way. So now the plowman has no reins. He's, no, he's walking around, but he's no longer hooked up to the plow. He, he's trying to give this imagery like there are enemies of God. There are people who would like to plow furrows up my back and cause me pain and go against my desire to follow God, to go against God himself and against God's purposes. But here's what I know. God has intervened and they're not hooked up to the plow anymore. So they're just walking around holding nothing. They think they're going against the, that God. They think they're going against God's purposes, but they're just walking around with a guy that's holding no reins. You're not plowing anything. And he goes, and you know what's funny? He goes, the thing that I think is hilarious, this is sort of my improv on the psalm. He says, you know what would be really funny is you actually think that you're going to sow a, a bunch of seed, that you're going to reap a big harvest against God and God's plans. And you think that you're going to be so successful. He goes, but you know what I think is funny? When it's all said and done, you know what your harvest is going to be? It's going to be as pathetic as dry grass on a rooftop. It's going to just look like withered weeds that produce nothing. And he goes, and the people that walk by and see what you put your life and your heart and your effort into, none of them are going to bless you. They're not going to say, oh, the Lord bless that. Right? It's this mockery. Nobody's going to say, oh man, you did an amazing job. God's really been with you. They're going to say, like, that's terrible. What kind of a farmer are you? You produced nothing. He's trying to help us have this imagery and this understanding that, that God is for us and has taken the, the reins away from our enemies. Now, the thing with perseverance that's challenging is perseverance is one of those things that a lot of times I think we don't know we have it until we do. And we get it a lot of times, and I think most often, unfortunately, through hard times and trials, when our faith is really tested, when our faithfulness to God is really tested, it's where our perseverance muscles grow. But I also think that there's some things that we can learn from God's word, particularly some of the stories that Jesus tells, that can help us unlock the keys to proactively 
growing some perseverance muscles. Like, I don't know about you, but I'm really good at learning things the hard way. Sometimes, sometimes I would like to not have to always learn it the hard way. You guys with me? Sometimes I would, I would like to go, hey, I'd like to learn that lesson at somewhere besides the school of hard knocks. And so I want to share something with you this morning. We all know that Jesus taught in stories and parables. They're some of my favorite things. And, and he taught in parables to unlock kind of keys, to illustrate things, to help us remember lessons. And there's an instance in a story where Jesus uses a parable to tell a story. It's a story that a lot of us are really familiar with. It's a parable we've probably heard many times. But in this parable are what I think are probably some really important keys to growing perseverance, to growing grit, to increasing your stick to before you have to go through hard stuff. Proactively. So this story is a story that takes place. It's recorded in um, Luke and Mark. We're going to look at Mark. Um, it's recorded in Mark chapter 4. And it starts off with uh, Mark chapter 4, verse 1. It goes like this. Once again, Jesus began teaching by the lakeshore. A very large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. And he sat in the boat while all the people remained on the shore. And he taught them by telling them many stories of parables such as this one. So here's the reason, uh, one of the many reasons me and Jesus are like this is because he taught stories from a boat. And I love stories, and I love boats. And so uh, if the weather was better, we would have probably just taken this one to the river today. But I think we would all have been cold, so we're just going to hang out here. But I, I love following a rabbi that liked boats and stories among other things. But so here he goes. So here's what I want you to, to get in your mind. He's in a boat. There's a huge crowd around. I mean, we're talking lots and lots of different people. There's looky-loos. There's people that are sort of interested, not interested, super serious, devout followers of his at this point. There's a huge variety of people with differing motives and interests in this crowd. And he teaches them a bunch of stories, a bunch of parables. Okay. So number three, uh, verse three goes, listen, A farmer went out to plant some seed, and as he scattered it across his field, some of the seed fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock, and the seed sprouted up quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among the thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants, so they produced no grain. Still other seed fell on fertile soil, and they sprouted, and they grew, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. And then he said, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Well, then later... Jesus goes on away from the boat, away from the hillside, and he's traveling uh, somewhere nearby with his disciples. And now he's with a smaller uh, group of disciples, uh, some guys and gals that are more devoted, following him, sticking close with him. And they're curious. They've just sat through this long teaching, who knows how long, of Jesus telling a lot of different parables. And they're coming to him going, hey, you know what would be great? What would be great is if you could tell us what all those meant. Like, we would really, like, we want to learn, like, could you un, uh, unpack, explain those parables to us? We want to make sure we don't miss any of the lessons. And the way Jesus answers them, I think, is pretty interesting. 
because he says something to them that I don't want you to miss. Verse 13, he says this. He says, then Jesus said to him, if you can't understand the meaning of this parable, if you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all the other parables? And so all of a sudden, we get a little glimpse into the intentionality of Jesus and understanding the parable of the sowers that we've all probably heard many times just went like on a level of importance, right? We're just like, wait a minute. I never caught that. This parable? Like this one. So all the stories he told, he starts out by letting them know, like if you don't get this one, you're not going to get the rest. And so something about this one is a big deal. So let's, let's see what he had to say. Verse 14, he says, The farmer plants the seed by taking God's word to others. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message, only to have Satan come at once and take it away. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy, but since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are per, uh, persecuted for believing God's word. And man, this is a type of soil that I think we are seeing a lot of evidence of in the world right now. There's, there are so many who had uh, curiosity about the Lord, who had an interest in Jesus or an interest in Christianity or religion or church because it was good for their kids or it seemed like a nice thing that their wife wanted them to do or for whatever their reason, there was a level of curiosity and interest in Jesus or spiritual things. And, and right now what we're seeing across the nation is that there were a lot of people who just didn't have deep roots. And there are a lot less people following Jesus because of the trials that are going on in the world, all of the crazy stuff going on in the world. It just showed that they didn't have the roots to kind of weather everything that was coming our way. And then he goes on like this. He says, the seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth and the desire for other things, so no fruit is produced. And this one I think may be one of the most relevant things going on in the world right now is God's word is out there. The irony is that because of COVID, probably God's word is being preached around the world more than it ever has been and, and more um, effectively through technology to an audience that is more receptive to be listening to things online than they ever would have before. And so there's, there is God's word is being sown like, like, like maybe it never has been in the history of the world. But in spite of that, weeds are growing faster. Like, I think this is not rocket science and it's a great analogy. Like we all understand you can do everything to grow the stuff you want to grow, but you don't do any work at all and weeds grow. I am an awesome weed grower, right? It takes no effort. They just show up. And, and I think that's what a lot of people's lives are looking right, like right now is like God's word is being sown all over the place. And yet people are walking through forests of weeds. Like every Facebook time you, you scroll Facebook, it's like new weed, new distraction, new distraction, new bad news, new this, new that. Every news channel you watch, everything. It's all this stuff that is like vying to choke out 
God's word, God's seed like growing in you. And there is no shortage of weeds growing right now. And then it goes on like this in verse 20. And the seed that fell on the good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as has been planted. So we've probably all read that story before, heard it, had somebody teach on it before. And probably what I just did is, is fairly common. We talk a little bit about that. We talk about the different types of soil, the obstacles that the different types of soil represent. Then we get to the end in verse 20 and we, and we kind of just blaze through it because it's one of those passages we're familiar with. And so we can almost just sort of just like rattle it off. Here's where the seed went. Here's what happened. 30, 60, 100 full is really good. But we're missing something really important. We're missing the fact that somewhere in here are keys to understanding Jesus' teaching in all these other parables. There's something significant. And I think the something significant probably comes in verse 20. And it's a part that we all probably blaze by really fast pretty often. I know I have. He says in verse 20, the seed that fell on the good soil represents those who hear and accept. Hear and accept God's word. This is what produces good soil. Hearing and accepting. Now, the idea of hearing God's word is not rocket science, right? Like we understand, right? It, right? It just the, when we when we hear that, we're like, "Yep, I know what that means." Like it doesn't have to have a lot of explanation. I think we also all know that people who hear God's word don't necessarily follow God. The thing about hearing God's word is it's pretty passive. You can agree or disagree. You can listen or ignore. You can care or not care. And a lot of people have grown up hearing God's word pretty passively disinterested and didn't really care. A lot of people today right now where God's word is being sown around the world probably in greater capacity than maybe it ever has been, it's falling on a lot of people who are hearing passively, not really engaged. But there's something about accepting that's different. And when you couple those things together, when you couple hearing and accepting, it goes from a passive activity to an active activity. Uh, the, the word in Greek for uh, accept, I tried to learn how to say it, but it's like, oh, let me try. Paradichimo by something. Yeah, I'd have to listen to it again. I don't know. Yeah, it's that. Yeah. Um. But it means to take upon oneself or to admit, not reject. Like, it's a verb. It's an action word. Um, So to accept requires action. Like, you can't just hear passively. You have to actually uh, receive and accept. So I don't know if I can get this this far. Devin, you ready? I learned first service. It doesn't fly very good. Or straight. (laughs) See if you can get it to Devin. There you go. All right, see if you can get over to Zach. Don't hit the camera. Keep going that way. All right, work your way around and back to me. All right, 
Whoa. All right. You can do it. Whoa. Almost took me out. All right. So I know it's kind of silly, but here's the thing. Accepting the best word that puts a concrete picture in my mind, and I think will for all of us, is catch. Like, I, I would love to see this text, if we could go back to the end of the passage and go, the seed that fell on the good soil represents those who hear and catch God's word. Because you don't passively catch something. You, it doesn't just accidentally happen. Like, you have to be ready to receive. Like, eyes on the ball, ready for it. Use your hands, tactile, engaged, physical. Like, it's a, it's a thing. So to hear and catch God's word. And, and for us, I think it's just super important that we understand that good soil is developed. We cultivate good soil by purposely hearing and catching God's word. And so if we want to grow grit muscles, we want to grow perseverance muscles, we want to grow strength to stay the course no matter what life throws at us, no matter what weeds sprout up, no matter what junk we go through, no matter what hard things come up in our life, to to be able to have a story like Paul's, then it's going to be developed and cultivated by proactively hearing and catching, accepting God's word. The thing is, like, I would love for each and every one of us to be able to have an opportunity later in life to be able to write to other people that are young in the faith. Maybe it's someone you imagine that's a grandkid. At one point, you're writing a letter to one of your grandkids or one of your kids, and you're trying to encourage them like Paul would do. Imagine what it would be like to be able to have a story where you could share some of your life, and, and what if you were, like, trying to pass on some of that grit and that perseverance, and that toughness, and that stick to like Paul did? What if you could write to a, a grandchild one day that's young in the faith, and, and dabbling in following Jesus, and you know they're going to face hard times, and you could use your story to sort of tell them, like, oh man, you're going to go through this, and I went through this, and I went through this, and you should have seen the time that this happened, and there was this time when your grandma and I, whew, I didn't think we were going to make it, but this is what happened, and then this happened, and right, and you, and you kind of go through this whole story because you're trying to help them learn. Like you're trying to help like give them some stick to itness, some grit. In order to be able to have a story like that, you got to be able to persevere. In order to have faith that's strong enough to persevere, you're going to have to get proactive. You're going to have to start like hearing and accepting. And so I just I love that imagery for us. And I want to just finish with some little takeaway steps, some kind of calls to action, some things that maybe we could do to help us um, keep fleshing this out, keep growing in this ability of, of hearing and accepting God's word. Okay, These are not in your notes, but you can write them down. They're going to be up on the screen. Um, first one is this, real simple. Actually read or listen to God's word every day. Actually read or listen to God's word every day. You can't catch, right? You can't accept what you're not hearing. If there's nothing going in, there's nothing to catch and apply. You actually have to hear God's word. And 
Um, a lot of you know uh, Kermit and Jolene that have been a part of the church forever. I love Kermit's heart on this. Like, the, he'll be the first one to tell you this. For a long time, he, this was one of the things he struggled with. He struggled with, like, daily being in God's word. And he really wanted to do something about it. He was like, I, he'll tell you, I wanted to be a person that was in God's word and praying all the time. I just was terrible at it. He's like, I meant well, but then I would just not do it. And so he went out and found guys and, and sort of like right out of the gate, he'll tell you selfishly, I just want to surround myself with some guys that would help me be in God's word every day. And I didn't care if they read or not. I just needed somebody to tell me to read. And so he started this group. And then there was a lot of guys that got to be a part of that group. And the, the heartbeat of the group was like, let's just be a group of guys that read God's word, hold each other accountable, help each other to stay consistent and faithful to actually hearing, like actually hearing God's word on a regular basis and then sort of catching it and talking about what did we catch? What stuck out to us? They always call it their nuggets. Like, what was your nugget this week? What, did, what stuck out to you? And they practice hearing God's word every week. That group's grown into a bunch of different groups. There's now five or six of those men's groups going. They call them path groups because they're groups to help guys stay on the path by hearing and catching God's word. Now there's girl path, ladies path groups going as well. And so if that's an area where you struggle, if you're like, man, I could totally relate. I love the idea of being in God's word every day, but I'm just lame. I'm terrible at it. Like I've tried so many times and I just don't stick with it. I've been there many times in my relationship with the Lord over the years. Lots of years I spent wanting to be a better, more consistent reader in the Bible and I just never did it. It's time to take action if that's where you're at. Get in on one of those groups. All right, next thing up is uh, join a small group. Um, uh, all of our small groups, your destination to start is email Alex. Alex at rlcpullman.com. Um, he, he can help get you connected to the right location, no matter what group you're interested in. There's men's groups, women's groups, there's home groups, there's smaller groups, there's different topical groups, there's groups for high schoolers, there's groups for middle schoolers, there's groups for college students. We've got a lot of groups that are meeting in person and via Zoom and using technology. I'll just say this, like I said earlier in the beginning of the service, with with what everybody is going through, taking the barometer of people in our church and our community and how much people are tired and weary and struggling. Tired people don't make good decisions. Tired people don't make strong disciples. Tired people make people that, that cave and do things you regret and struggle with stuff that you don't want to struggle with. Like the way to combat that is to be around community, to be in God's word, to surround yourself with a group of people that can help hold you accountable, help spur you on in your relationship with Lord. This is more than ever, this is not go it alone season. And we're living in times right now that are telling everybody the resounding message is message of fear. Isolate, 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 isolate. Stay away from people, stay away from people, stay away from people. And you're hearing it in 500 different creative ways. And the message of the gospel says, find some people to do life with. Don't avoid being in community with people. If you got to get creative, get creative. Get in a garage, figure out heaters, like, like do whatever you got to do. But figure out how to be a part of a small group. Um, the last thing is this, is um, we've got a bunch of these that are going to be out by the um, offering boxes on that table when you leave. And what these are is just a, a sermon notebook. And I just want to offer this up as a tangible, concrete way to catch 
right? Like, so we're talking about hearing and catching God's word. I'm going to have these out there for you guys. And so what this is, is, is this is a way for you to put action to your decision to be a catcher of God's word. If, if you're like, hey, I'm going to come here every week and I'm not going to just come to hear, I'm going to come to receive, to accept, to catch. One of the ways you can tangibly catch is to take notes. Write down what you're hearing. Write down what prompts you, what, what catches your attention so that you can dig into it and accept as you're learning. And so if you're in a spot where you're like, I'm in, I'm hearing and I want to be a catcher every week, right? Like this is your, this is your catcher's mitt for sermons every week. And so they're out there for you. And if you're in a spot where you're like, I'm ready, I, I want that, grab one. If you're like, eh, I don't know yet, don't take one. Right? Make your action line up with your choice. All right, let's finish with communion this morning, everybody. Every week we take communion together as a church, um, and uh, folks online are taking communion with us at home as well. And I would just say, even for the folks watching from home that are taking communion with us, it's been a while since we've seen some of the creative communion picks. And so if you're taking communion from home, snap a shot of uh, what you're using, where you're taking communion. And we just want to try and uh, be able to share those and encourage people because when you're here in person, you get to look around the room and see everybody opening up the juice and we're taking communion together. When you're at home uh, and watching from home, that's kind of one of the things that I think people sometimes miss out on. And so we'll try and share those with each other so that we can see each other as a family participating in this and doing this together as a family. And so we, we do this every week so that we don't get far from remembering what God did for us, what Christ accomplished on the cross, that we have forgiveness for our sins available because of what Jesus did that we have the ultimate guide to look to when it comes to how to persevere and stay the course. That we get to look to the, to the cross and we look to the resurrection. And so those are the things that we remember this morning. So this morning as we take communion, we remember that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks. He said, this is his body that was given for us. And so as we take the bread, let's remember the body of Christ. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, and he said, this cup represents the new covenant, which is Jesus' blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. So we'll remember that as we take the cup. Father God, we, do, we love you, and we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your son. Thanks for guys like Paul who display, just as a regular human, lots of perseverance and grit and toughness and stick with itness and um and so many others throughout the scriptures god help us to look to them and their lives the example that they uh, give us and um lord just spur us on when we're weak and when we're tired stir up memories of people that have gone before us and have stuck it out have stayed the course stayed on the path and maybe even grown in their love for you. Lord, help us to be a family full of people that is um, just strong and perseverance in our faith. Let's pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us at rlcpullman.com and by connecting with us on Facebook. Until next time, 
Have a great week.